Thank you, worship team. Fantastic job. Uh, yeah, brilliant as always. Hi, everyone. My name's Dave. It's great to have you with us. Uh, it's a joy to be here always, to be able to preach the Word of God. It's so great uh, just to gather together today. We're just mixing the camera up and getting that prepared. Um, I hope that you're expectant tonight. I hope that you're coming hungry, not just for the lasagna that's in your oven cooking away and smelling nice, but that you're hungry for a, a move of God, that you are believing wherever you are at, that as you gather and you hear the word of God proclaim, that God wants to meet you, wants to speak to you exactly where you're at. When we come hungry, when we come expectant so often, God rocks up in ways we could never imagine, and he's... He wants to touch, he wants to engage, he wants to speak to us. So my prayer is that you're hungry tonight, my prayer is that you're engaged tonight, that you're not just going on with other work, doing other things and having the word in the background so you can say you did church so that you can come to the Zoom group later and have a giggle. Now let's press into the word of God. Let's press in tonight. Let's seek first the kingdom. Let's desire an encounter with the living God. And I just believe God's got a great word for us tonight. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, can you go to First Peter, the book of First Peter, the third chapter. For those of you who are visiting or joining us for the first time in a while, we are in a series on the book of First Peter. Uh, it's been an amazing series where, um, yeah, Peter is calling us, calling the church, writing to the scattered church and calling them out and saying, hey, you have a living hope. In the face of adversity, in the face of persecution, you have a living hope. Mm. Rise to that living hope. Rise and be the people that God is calling you to be. So, from verse 8 through to verse 22, we, we read this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For, underline that, circle that, highlight that. For, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For, highlight that, underline that, do whatever you want to do. For, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Touch somebody and tell them they're blessed. blessed. You are blessed. <laughs> do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism, 
that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Wow, there is a lot of meat on that bone. <laughs> and we are looking forward to chewing it. Tonight I said to Nick when we were talking about this just the other day, I was like, mate, I'm going to be lucky to be less than five hours. Uh, <laughs> but I promise it won't be five hours. Um, there's so much in this, and I'm just going to bring out just a little bit of what God's laid on my heart as I've been studying this passage. Um, I don't know about you, but for us, one of the best things to come out of this COVID season is actually a conversation I had with Pastor Nick uh, recently, probably a couple of months ago, and he introduced us to this incredible thing known as Lego Masters. Yes. I don't know if anyone's watching Lego Masters in your household. We, we haven't been watching free-to-air television for a long time, right? We sort of gave up on the whole free-to-air television thing. But in a conversation with Nick, he was like, dude, you need to watch Lego Masters. One, for your kids, but more importantly for you, because you are going to love this show. And he was not wrong. We have loved Lego Masters. My kids have loved Lego Masters. We've been building Lego. Lego have made some money out of us. Uh, it has been a good time in our household to engage in that show. One of the things I found really interesting, though, and annoying, I forgot how frustrating free-to-air television is because one thing you don't have in free-to-air... Uh, one thing you don't have when you're not on free-to-air television is ads. Who hates an advert? Oh, my gosh, how frustrating are they? They are so annoying. It's like for every minute of Hamish Blake brilliance, you have three minutes of just... Nonsense, just drivel, the government ramming COVID-19 adverts down your throat over and over and over again and then other stupid stuff that I don't care about, no one really cares about, but they're forcing it. But there is one saving grace. There is one saving grace. There is one fantastic set of ads out there. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're from that beautiful supermarket called Aldi. <laughs> Has anyone seen those ads? There's these ads, I'm just going to, they're basically just this series of strange, cultural, social, weird interactions that happen relating to a supermarket. And then at the very end, after this weird, odd interaction, pops up the Audi logo with a simple slogan. And the slogan says this, good, different. Good, different. I came to preach tonight on the topic, good, different. Because Audi's trying to get us to see that, hey, they might be different, they might be a bit strange, they might not be what you used to, but just because they're different doesn't mean they're dodgy. And in fact, what they're doing is they're actually celebrating their difference. They're saying, yeah, we don't look like everyone else looks. We're different from everything else that you've known, but that is actually the strength that we have. That's actually the thing we want to champion. That's our selling point. That's the thing we're banking on, bringing you to us, the fact that we're different. We're different, but we're good different. And you know what? It's a fantastic slogan for a supermarket wanting to stand out in the world in which we live. It's even a better slogan for sinners that have been saved by grace through faith, by Jesus, for Jesus, for the purpose of standing out. A supermarket says we're good different to stand out. Guess what, Christians? You are good different that you might stand out. And this is the essence of what Paul is writing uh, to the, the scattered church. Is that, hey, believer, hey, Christian, hey, follower of Jesus, guess what? You've been saved. You've been bought at a price. You've been brought into this beautiful living hope, this glorious inheritance that you have in Jesus for a purpose. 
You have been called that you might stand out. As a few weeks ago I preached that you've been stood up, the living stone stood up to stand out. You've been bought at a price for a purpose that you might live as good different in the world. That you might not just be the same as everybody else. If you're a believer, Peter is challenging you in this place to say, hey, what are you going to do about this mighty treasure, this mighty hope that you have been given? Will you carry on living like you've always lived? Will you just disappear into the wave of the world? Or will you stand out? Will you be a person who's different? but a blessing. You see, the thing about the world in which we live, the culture in which we live, when we live this way, when we live different lives, there are ways that a Christian will live that will upset them. There are convictions that we hold that are just plain annoying to the world. There are things in the world, there are truths that we proclaim, there's a lifestyle that we lead that is upsetting, that is offensive, but let me tell you something, when we stand up and we live that life, there is a promise that we should be a blessing to the world. We should be different but we should be good different. We should be peculiar but persuasive. We should be curious but convicting. We should be bizarre, but we are called to be a blessing in the world. We're supposed to be a light in the darkness. Our presence is supposed to usher in the very presence of God. And this is the Christian call. This is what Peter has been saying for the best part of chapter 2 and chapter 3 is this powerful proclamation to stand up, to stand out, to bear witness, to be different. It's what Paul frames differently in the book of Romans, chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Peter is saying you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, so for goodness sake, start acting like it. This is how you should live in the world. This is how you should relate to authority. This is how you should live in the home. This is how you should behave in the workplace. This is what being good, different looks like. And the best part about this is as you come to chapter 3, verse 8, in summary of all these things that Peter has been saying, he finally gets to this conclusion. He comes to the crescendo, the point where he's bringing this teaching together. And this is how you know Peter is a preacher because he says... Finally, he's hitting his first of about six conclusions because we're halfway through the letter and he says, finally, I'm bringing this, I'm landing this plane, I'm getting the band up, we're playing the keys, we're ready to go, but I've still got plenty to say. And he says, finally, finally, all of you, not just the husbands, not just the wives that we talked about last week, now everyone getting inside of the whole body of Christ, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. Be different. Stand out. And you and I might read that. We might say, oh, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tenderly, tender heart. That's not that different. I see that in my friends. It's not that unusual. But we need to understand the context and the culture to which Peter is writing here. This is a shocking way to live. 
Peter is writing right here. He is writing to a first century pagan culture, a first century Greco-Roman pagan culture. The idea first, that unity of mind, that uh, harmony with one another, this whole idea of living in unity was something that was just shocking to that world, something that was offensive in that world. It was something that you just didn't do. It was something that they, they, they hated and they despised in this culture because if you were, you were living in this like-mindedness which requires sacrifice and humility and patience and investment and if you were living in this way, what you were doing is you were actually resisting the religion of the world. The church at that time who were living in this, this unity that were saying, no, we're not going to be like everybody else. We're not going to just have these, this pluralistic religious view. We're not going to dive into that religion and that religion and that religion. No, together we're going to stand arm in arm, even when we don't see eye to eye. We're going to hold on to some key foundational truths and that is going to be what unites us. And we, You're not going to be able to separate us. You're not going to be able to come in and speak those words of disunity and tear us apart from the inside out. No, 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 no. We're going to stand we're going to stand firm in unity. Not necessarily uniformity, but the world can't break us apart. And that is a powerful witness. And it is the very witness that actually transformed the entire ancient landscape, transformed the world that we know today because the church lived in unity. And it was something they had to fight for from Acts chapter 3. And so Peter's reminding him, this is a powerful way that you need to live. And it is a word for the church today because I don't see the church living that like-minded. In some parts, yes, but we have spent so many years bickering and infighting. So many churches have blown up from the inside out. Instead of fighting the battles outside the walls of the church, they've been fighting battles inside the walls of the church. And the world is just looking back going, look at you, you're a rabble and a mess. Why would we ever dream of following you? But when the church stands together in unity, when the church stands arm in arm, when the church is unified, it commands a blessing and it convicts the world. And this is the great call. Peter's saying, hey, 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 live this way. Choose unity. Which requires humility. And this is another thing that was just shocking in this culture. Humility was something that did not happen. The humble was associated with just lowly peasants who had no significance in society. No, no, no. You did not humble yourself. You exalted yourself in that culture. You exalted yourself. And in so doing, you could aspire to positions of esteem. No one would ever deliberately choose to humble themselves. No one would ever deliberately choose to associate with someone of a lower socioeconomic background or environment or upbringing. Now, that just didn't happen in that culture. And when the church and Peter start saying, hey, live in humility, the, the world's looking at them going, what are you doing? It's offensive to our way of life. When someone with wealth, with someone with influence and power bows their knee to serve someone in the gutter, that world looked at that and were like, what are you doing? This is not okay. And the interesting thing, again, is I think it speaks to our culture because I think now, perhaps more than a very, very long time, we have a world that is leaning and pressing into the love of self and pride. 
I look at Instagram, I look at Facebook, I look at social media. If you want to get somewhere, you exalt your own name. You do everything you can to lift up self. This is not the call of Christ. Self-promotion is not the call of Christ. Self-sacrifice is. And our world does not understand it. It's offensive when the church starts to live like that, but it's powerful. It is a powerful witness to the world in which we live that we would choose to live this way. And he carries on. He talks about brotherly love and compassion. Brotherly love and compassion. You know, the, the, the Greek words used here are, are words that are deeply related to family. Again, this is offensive to this culture. That he's saying, again, whether you are a person of high position or, or someone who's the poorest of the poor, live as brothers and sisters, have compassion, live as if you were one of one family. And this culture did not understand it. It was confusing. It convicted them. But most of the time they just despised the way that the church was living, that people would choose to live and love like that, that they would choose people who weren't blood brothers and sisters, but they lived as if they were family. It was different. And it was a powerful, compelling witness. They didn't necessarily like it, but gosh, it drew their attention. And again, the same is true for us in the church today. Imagine if we truly lived, if we had that universal acceptance that you didn't have to believe to belong. You just belong. You walk into our presence and we're going to wrap you up we're going to bring you into our family we're going to support you whether you have wealth whether you have nothing whether you can sing whether you sound like a barking dog it doesn't matter we love you and we are going to embrace you we're going to bring you into our family it's a compelling witness to the world i was thinking the other day uh my brother-in-law uh now a wonderful christian bloke you know how he got saved we were just talking about this just the other day he got saved he was living uh, a life that was far from God, let's just call it that way, but he had a Christian grandma and he went through a particular situation on the Wednesday which opened his eyes and he went, what am I doing with my life? He talked to a friend of his and his friend was like, hey man, I go to church, why don't you come along? He rocked up to church that Sunday and he just got wrapped up and embraced and loved in a way that he Never, like he hadn't experienced that in his life before, and then he got asked to come to me to church camp the very next week. He got asked to come to camp, so he was like, All right, I'll come to camp. And he was an awesome guitarist. And my brother was supposed to be playing guitar at that camp, but he got held up in his car, and we were like desperate for a guitar. We're going to start worshiping about half an hour. I'm like, Bro, can you, you've got a guitar, can you play? He was like, Sure, I love playing guitar. So he's rocked up and he's rocking out, you know, uh, what the world would ever take to anyone remember that song? Awesome. And he just played, he, like he played guitar, he sat with people, he was loved by people. That weekend he gave his life to the Lord. His life was radically transformed because the church wrapped him up and loved him and had compassion on him and lived differently to the world that he was living in. It bears witness. And this is the call to the church to stand out, to be different. To be different. To be good different. And you know what I think the fascinating thing about, I love what Tim Keller says. He says, when the church lives as it is called to live, it will cause the world to simultaneously hate us and love us. They will despise our convictions but be drawn to our courage. They will hate our hope 
but love our help. We say Jesus is the only way. We hold this conviction that only those in Christ will be saved from sin, death and hell. Yet we do not sit arrogantly boasting about our position. No, we get on our knees and serve the least and the lost. It's confounding. The world doesn't understand it. But it's a powerful witness in the world. It's counter-cultural. Countercultural. This is what Peter is calling us to in these verses. He's saying, if you are a believer, you are called to live counter-cultural lives. Mm-hmm. You know, at Verdun, I say to our team all the time, friends, we want to bring a countercultural message in a culturally relevant way. We want the world to look at us and say, you speak my language, but God, you're different. Mm-hmm. There's something weird about you, but... There's something wonderful at the same time. There's something very strange, but I'm drawn to that. Mm. There's something even that is offensive and it gripes, grinds my gears a little bit, but there's something behind it that I can't help that I want to pursue. That's the life we're called to live. And I think in the church it's a great challenge because, again, you look around, I see a lot of churches that are, that are starting to press in and it's, it's easy to be culturally relevant It's easy to wear hipster glasses. It's easy to do the coffee well. It's easy to wear the right kicks. It's easy to do all those sort of things and have the right lights. And we're culturally relevant, but are we bringing a countercultural message? And the message is not just the word, it's the deeds. Paul, Peter is calling us to a countercultural life. Why? Because it will lead to blessing. And it's a blessing he touches on as he quotes Psalm 34. But what I really love about this is he doesn't just leave it there. He sort of, he quotes Psalm 34 and then he just quickly digresses for a second because he wants us to see something. Because before he can unpack the blessing, before he can say, hey, this is why you should live, you've got to get blessed. And before he unpacks that blessing, he wants us to sit in the cost of the call for a little bit. He wants us to weigh up the weight of the lifestyle that he's calling us into. We might, he wants us to not be naive about this lifestyle and the things that he's, we're going to step into, but we need to understand that the blessing is worth the burden that this lifestyle will carry because this lifestyle is hard. Like look at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you suffer, if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Peter is saying, guys, you've been brought into this living hope, but if you're going to live this lifestyle, if you are going to be good, different in the world, people will persecute you. There will be suffering that comes with that because when the light shines in the darkness... There is sight. But the thing is, those people who have grown to love the darkness don't always love what they see in the light. Mm. And they will bite back this offence that they see in our lifestyle. This stuff will cause a reaction in them. And we will, the church living this way will suffer on account of this lifestyle. And I tell you this because I have lived this in my own life. And I don't know if there's people in this room or where you are in your own setting, if you've experienced this. For me, I remember being 19 years old. I just like just sort of turned 19 and I went off on a basketball carnival in Melbourne uh, with a bunch of other guys. And I remember one night sitting there and just 
as we started talking and they got more and more beers into them and I like had a real conviction of God in my life at this point in time and I wanted to live this life, I wanted to be different, I wanted to be in the world but not of the world, so I'd go to these things and I wouldn't be drinking and I'd be standing firm on the promises of God and I'd be happy to like have conversations but I remember this one particular night these guys just started drilling me and ribbing me about my faith and uh, that it just got to a point where it went beyond the joke and it just got more and more and more intense and I just remember in that moment just feeling like arrow after arrow after arrow and the whisper of the devil saying you don't belong here you don't fit here they don't respect you they don't like you what are you doing why are you here all these words started coming as this uh, these these words of hatred really just started firing in at my life. And I just remember in that moment, sitting there in that room thinking, what am I going to do here? And I had a choice. I could either bite back, I could get up and walk out, or I could just choose humility. Mm-hmm. I could just choose to say, hey, they don't understand. I'm just going to laugh that off. I'm going to learn to laugh at myself. I'm going to learn to laugh at the fact that, yeah, I'm weird. I'm different. And they might not like that different because it convicts them. They might not like the fact that I was saving myself for marriage because it convicted them of the fact that deep down they knew that everything, every girl that they were sleeping with was actually just another hole in their soul that they were trying to fill with something new. And I just chose to laugh it off. But I'd be a liar if I said that didn't hurt. And this is the reality of the call that God has on our lives, that we are called to be different. We are called to stand out. And that difference, you in some way, shape, or form, will suffer. Mm. And in the West, that might not be physical persecution, it might not be torture, but I promise you, when you are being good, different in the world, people will come against you. Mm. So why should we do it? Because there's a blessing that far outweighs the burden. Because there's a blessing attached to it. And what is the blessing? Peter hints at it in verse 12. And he lands it in verse 18. In verse 12, like when I said circle that four, he says you should live this way that you might inherit a blessing. That four is because. It's the explanation of the why. Because whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from deceitful speech. You should live differently. You must turn from evil and do good. You must seek peace and pursue it. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't revile with reviling. No, no, no. Turn the other cheek. Choose to live differently. For... Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. Verse 18. For, again he's going through this. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. Guys, the blessing is an internal intimacy with God. The blessing is that Jesus has brought you to God. God, there's this eternal security. He's saying the blessing is not a BMW. The blessing is not a penthouse apartment. The blessing is not wealth and uh, the eternal uh, vending machine of God, the, the genie God who just gives you what you want in this world. No, that's not the blessing that churches have turned it into. No, the blessing is that you get to have relationship with God. You are restored unto God. That Jesus has made it possible for you to walk with God in the garden again. As he walked with Adam and Eve, he's restored that relationship. There is no greater blessing. There is no greater prize. There is no greater reward and joy than having intimacy with God. 
Jesus has split the curtain that we might enter the holy place, that we might have communion and relationship with God, with God, friends, with God himself, the author of life, the creator of the universe, the one who is and was and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega. He wants to have relationship with you and Jesus has made a way and as we put our faith in him, we we enter into that relationship, to intimacy with God himself. Friends, that is so much richer and so much better than a BMW. And this is why when you go to these countries like third world nations and you see people with this joy dancing. I saw this hilarious video of an African man dancing as he was bringing his offering in. One of the funniest things I've seen in ages. He's doing forward rolls and backflips and crazy stuff because it's just this joy in his heart mm. as he's giving to God because God has given him everything and yet we are so downcast because God didn't answer that prayer because that didn't happen in my life look how blessed you are you have a relationship with God that is the blessing John 10 28 verse 30 says I give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one will snatch them from my hand no one can snatch you from his hand. When Peter says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do, eager to do good? He's saying, what, what harm, what offense, what arrow, what word spoken over your life can snatch you from the hand of God? What suffering that may come your way can truly do you harm? It can't because the blessing that you're walking in is inheritance, is relationship with God. No matter what you suffer and go through on account of this good, different life, is nothing compared to the surpassing glory of knowing God and having relationship with God. Romans 8, 35 to 39, one of the well-known, famous, amazing scriptures. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for, we, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, I'll have to add three more no's. No, 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 no. That's how I picture Paul saying it. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. In all these things, in whatever comes our way, when we put our foot down and we say, I'm going to live a countercultural life by the power of the Spirit at work in me. Mm. Not by might, not by strength, but by His Spirit. When I say, this is it, this is what my life is going to be, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I know that in this room right now, we don't have a lot of ameners, but you should be saying amen where you are <laughs> right now at home because that is worth shouting about. Amen. You are blessed. You are blessed. And I just feel to speak this into someone's life right now. Maybe you're at university. Maybe you're going through some stuff. Maybe you're being attacked just gently. And sometimes it's the gentle stuff. That gets you the most. Sam Gamero preached a cracker of a message on Friday night at youth. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's nah, the other way around. It's the other way around. It's actually the words that will pierce the heart and the soul. And your suffering 
You're not having your legs broken, but you are suffering and you're beginning to doubt. You're beginning to think, man, it's just going to be easier if I just go with the flow, if I just submit to the way of the world. No, friends, the reason they're doing that, the reason they're saying that is because your lifestyle is convicting them. Your lifestyle is different. Stay the course. Stay the course. Why? Because you are working towards a blessing. Because God has blessed you in Christ. Because he is worth it. He is worth it. Don't give in. Don't submit to the way of the world. Stand your ground. And you will see the fruit of your labour. You will see the fruit of your labour. And Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, just starts to hammer this home. He starts to say, okay, with this in mind, with this, that you're going to live this way and you're going to you're called to live this way because of the blessing, he says, here's some encouragement to in this. Here's some encouragement as you live this way in pursuit of that blessing. Here's the encouragement. Firstly, verse 14 and 15, do not fear. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Friends, don't fear losing status in this world. Fear losing Christ. Get perspective. Is a short amount of pain worth the eternal glory that awaits? Let's get perspective. Revere Christ as Lord. Fear God above all things. Put him on the mantle. Recognize how mighty and powerful and grand and glorious and wonderful he is. And bow your knee to him that you might not bow your knee to the things of this world. Because the things of this world will not sustain you in the time of trial. The things of this world cannot offer you eternal life. The things of this world might satisfy for a moment, but they cannot satisfy for eternity. Only Jesus can bring the salvation that your soul needs. So bow your knee to him. Don't fear that because he is Lord and you can trust in him. Don't fear the things of this world. The second thing he says as a part of that verse is be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Be prepared. Let me ask you a question. If someone walks up to you tomorrow in your workplace, at your uni, if you're in high school, at your school, whatever that might be, and someone says, tell me why, Jesus... Can you answer that question? Right now, can you actually, if we were at a conference right now, I'd, I'd give you five minutes to prepare your answer. And I want you to do that after this message. I want you to prepare your answer. Are you prepared? Because I think as Christians, we're like, yeah, be prepared. Come on. And we're like, we walk out of church like, I'm prepared. I'm ready. But if someone says, tell me why Jesus, what we do is we go, because, because he saved me. And they're like, from what? Like, do we have an answer? Are we ready? Are we ready to give an account of the hope that we have? And Peter's like, hey, if you're going to live this life, guess what's going to happen? People are going to ask you. You might suffer a bit, but at some point in your life, someone's going to say, what is with you, man? Why are you different? 
Why aren't you doing what we're doing? Why aren't you choosing this particular lifestyle? Why do you come to these things and not engage in all the stuff we're doing? Why the heck would you choose to not have sex before marriage? I remember sitting in a bus and these guys just, this is what I'm talking they're just mocking, they're like, you're, you're an idiot. Don't you know how good it is? And I was like, do you know how good it's supposed to be? And I'm waiting for what it was created for. And these guys just, there was slander and they were just mocking me. But what they were actually saying is, tell me why, Dave? Why would you choose to live this way? And when you do that, you will have an opportunity. Are you ready? Be prepared to give a reason. But do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be arrogant. This is what he was just talking about. Don't be pig-headed. Don't be abusive. Don't tell everyone they're going to hell in a handbasket. But love them. Brotherly love, compassion, humility. Say, like, reason with them. Use good, sound logic. Get to know your stuff. Do it with gentleness and respect. And here's the really interesting thing. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who hurl those insults of your good behaviour in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. A day is going to come when those people are going to look at the way they treated you and go, what was I doing? In my own brokenness, my own confusion, I just mocked this person. Or I abused this person. Or I cast this person out and I persecuted that person. A day will come when they will turn and they will go, oh my goodness, what was I doing? And again, this is I'm sharing a lot from my life, but this is true in my life. I... I'll never forget the day of my wedding. I asked one of my team manager to drive us around. It was this five foot one bodybuilder named Tony Rocker. And he was an awesome guy. He'd actually been to prison and a radical story. Came out. He's driving us around. He came to our wedding. And as he's driving us after our wedding, you know, wearing that wedded bliss as we're heading off to photos and reception, he turns around and he says, guys, he goes, oh, I've got to go to church. I've got to go to church. And he just started asking questions about the faith. And then we sort of went on this journey together of him coming to faith. And it was just amazing. I'll never forget one night we were talking about this stuff. And he said, Dave, what you need to understand is when you were standing there with us and we were mocking, he goes, you need to know that all of us were taking notice. All of us were like, we respected you. We were mocking you. Yes, but we respected you because there was some conviction. There was a confidence. There was something that you had that we all needed. Stand your ground. Boast in the Lord and in his glory and what he will do. And I promise you, people are thinking, people are wrestling, people are asking questions. So be prepared. And the last thing we see, and band, you can come up and we will land this plane at some point, is remember the why. Remember the why. 17 through 22. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Why? For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Wow, there's a really interesting theological debate. People say, well, what does that mean? Does it mean that he actually descended into hell and preached to everyone who was dead, exiting time, past, present, future, declaring the gospel, giving everyone one more chance? Or was it a, a victory cry? Was he going, uh, as he died, was he going and preaching to the imprisoned spirits, the fallen, the fallen angels, the demons, and basically just boasting of his victory saying, I gotcha! Was it a victory cry? There's, if you read this, there's so many different theologians who have so many different views, and I'll give you a real frank answer is I don't know the answer to that. 
But what we do know is that Jesus is Lord, that he has authority and that he has power. And that he proclaims that victory. And why, why does Peter use this Noah reference? Verse 20, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Only a few people were saved. And he talks about the water symbolising baptism. Not the removal of dirt, but it's saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven. What's all this about? And what it is, it's about remembering the why. It's about remembering your rights, recognising that Jesus is Lord. It's recognising that Jesus has uh, defeated the enemy. That like in the days of Noah, when there was just a remnant and you, they felt like they were the only ones in the whole world, the invitation was there to the whole world to repent and to turn and to follow God and to give their lives to him. And they could see Noah building an ark. They could see the ark going up like, what is this fool doing? And they're mocking him. Just like in those days, you are supposed to be building an ark. You are supposed to be living this life, this different life. Noah was different, but he was good different. And they mocked him and they abused him. The same is true for you. You're supposed to be building an ark in the world that the world might see you and say, what are you doing? That you might declare the praises of him, knowing that as you stand firm in faith, knowing that as you surrender and bow the knee to Christ, that he is the one who holds you, that he is the one bringing you to God. He is the one giving you strength in times of trial. He is the one that's keeping you and he is the one who brings you from death to life. And that beautiful water analogy that we see in baptism, it's not the water itself, it's not the act of baptism that saves, like Peter makes that clear. No, it's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge, the promise of a good conscience towards God. It's the act, it's what the, it's what the sprinkling, it's what the immersion, it's what the water symbolises, that you have been brought from death to life in God. You've been brought to God. That is the blessing, that is the promise. And with that promise, you can be prepared. You don't need to fear. You can stand up and strive for holiness. Why? Because God brought, Christ brought you to God. You can endure suffering and ridicule. Why? Because Christ brought you to God. You don't have to fear. Why? Because Christ brought you to God. You can be prepared in and out of season. You can boldly declare your reason of hope. Why? Because Christ brought you to God and you are blessed. You are blessed. So stand up. Embrace the difference. Mm. Celebrate the difference. Be in the world, but do not be of the world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And like Audi, celebrate it. <laughs> celebrate it. I know I'm weird. I know I don't fit the pattern that you think is appropriate and right. I know I have particular views that might be offensive in this culture. But I'm not afraid. Mm. And I'm not going to bow my knee to your political, cultural, societal expectations. Because I'm going to bow my knee to God. Because in Christ, he has brought me to himself. Mm. And in there is blessing far outweighing the burden of the call to holiness. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to pray. Ben, you can start to play.
You're different, but you're good different. And it's as we embrace that difference that we leave a mark in the world. God has made you a vessel. Just a jar of clay. There's nothing special about you. There's nothing special about me. We're just earthen vessels. But it's a vessel in which his treasure lies. And he wants to bring that treasure to the world. So let's stand up. Let's be different because people are watching. Whatever you're going through, be prepared, be ready. People are watching. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would strengthen your church today. God, man, I just feel so strongly for particularly that 16 to 20 year old mark. People who are at that point in life where it's a wrestle with, is this my faith? Is this mum and dad's faith? Do I? Is this true? Is this real? Is this worth giving my life for? And they're hearing stuff all over the place. They're hearing stuff at university. They're hearing strange philosophies that they've never heard before. They're hearing that there is no truth, that there, there is no right and wrong, that you can't dare put your version of truth on them because truth is relative. They're hearing things they've never heard before. And Father, I just pray right here, right now, that you would give each and every person a profound revelation that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father but by you. No other philosophy, no other God, no other deity defeated death and ascended to the right hand of the Father. The facts are all there. Your spirit is at work in the world. The evidence is all there. God, I just pray that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters today. I pray that you would empower them to be the church, to be the people you've created them and called them out to be. By your spirit, would you come? Would you begin just to wash us? Would you begin to refine us, renew us, restore us? Strengthen us, Lord. Let us live such good lives among the pagans. Oh, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. God, we want to be your witness in the world no matter the cost. No matter the cost. You've taken us from death to life. You've brought us to yourself with the simple call of stand up. Be different. Because it's good different. It's a blessing to the world. We ask this in Jesus' almighty name and all God's children said, Amen. 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 Let's worship.